0: As for Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. This is your host, Coach Kevin Smith, podcaster here at the FFSN Network, uh, head football coach of the Ocean City Red Raiders in southern New Jersey. And, and yeah, happy to be with you, man. This is a special episode because the it's championship weekend, man. The playoffs have passed the divisional round. We're down to the final four, and that's pretty exciting. And we're obviously going to talk about that. Uh, but I'm going to jump right into our traditional opening, which is to honor a player who wore the number of the episode. And this player is going to have some relevance to the broader theme of this episode. And that player is number 41, Matt Snell, running back of the New York Jets, drafted by the Jets way back in, in 1964 out of Ohio State when the Jets were a part of the old AFL. And, and Matt Snell went on to have a solid career for New York in both the AFL and then later as they merged into the NFL. He was the AFL Rookie of the Year in 64. He was a three-time All-Star in that league. But the pinnacle of Matt Snell's career came on January 12th, 1969, just just eight days after I was born, when Snell rushed for 121 yards and a touchdown in leading those upstart Jets to a 16-7 to win over the powerhouse Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III, the famous Super Bowl III, where Joe Willie Namath had guaranteed a Jets Win. That was the first Super Bowl win for an AFL team over the old NFL powerhouses. And it remains to this day the biggest upset in Super Bowl history. And that game takes on special meaning in this episode of the call sheet because it represents not just the high water mark in Matt Snell's career, but also the high water mark in the history of the Jets and all the fans who root for them. The Jets certainly qualify as one of the most tortured franchises in sports history. And that's a relevant topic when we consider this year's NFL playoffs and the the, the plight specifically of the Buffalo Bills, who lost at home last Sunday in excruciating fashion to, to their nemesis, the Kansas City Chiefs, which ended another promising season for the Bills short of their ultimate goal of finally bringing a championship to the city of Buffalo. So the Bills, like the Jets, are a tortured sports franchise. And honestly, man, the images of their fans sobbing in the stands after last week's game, that was downright heartbreaking. But it, it is those images of distraught Bills fans on Sunday night that, that brings me to a broader question about the psychology of being a sports fan. And, and the question is this, why do we invest so much time and energy and emotion into rooting for an entity over which we have no control? That, that's a fascinating topic to me. We can't affect the outcome of any of the games involving any of these teams. Yet we put so much into them. I mean, my, my gosh, I'm I'm at the center of that. My, I'm I'm building now a new career around investing energy in uh, an adventure over which I have no control. I asked Jeff Hartman on our Whip Around podcast the other day how many hours of his life he thinks he's devoted to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and his answer was great. He said way more than I'd be willing to admit to. And you know Jeff and I as Steelers fans we've been fortunate to enjoy a lot of success which includes 6 Super Bowl wins and that's that's more than a fair payoff for the investment in our time honestly when I listen to Pittsburgh fans who talk about getting itchy for another because it's been 15 years since they last won a Lombardi I'm 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 sympathetic man I I'm I'm ready too I'm ready for the Steelers to win another one as well but When you talk to fans of the Jets, of the Bills, of the Lions, some of these more traditionally tortured fan bases, there is zero sympathy for Steelers fans. I mean, the ultimate prize always seems to escape those franchises, but their fans, to their credit, I guess, remain dedicated. They continue to invest, even when they suspect the ultimate result will be heartbreak. And that's a fascinating subject to me. And I'm going to explore that subject in part two of today's show with my great friend, my friend for over 30 years, my college roommate, longtime pitching coach at Sacred Hearts Heart University in Connecticut, and a lifelong New York Jets fan, Wayne Mazzoni. So Wayne will be on in the second part of the show to talk about being a tortured fan and what that involves. But first, we have a championship weekend to get ready for. So, So let's do that. We're going to look at one thing that has helped each of this season's final four teams reach this point, right? The penultimate weekend of the season. Uh, Let's call it, let's simply call it, you know, one reason each of the league's final four teams are still standing. Okay, so the AFC games are up first on Sunday. So let's start there. So the top-seeded Baltimore Ravens, right? One reason they're hosting this AFC championship game is because they had the courage to part ways with a couple of coordinators with whom they'd experienced a lot of success, but with whom they also did not feel they could go any further. That took some guts. Former offensive coordinator Greg Roman, he helped turn Lamar Jackson into a league MVP in 2020. But Roman directed a run-heavy offense. It was largely based out of big personnel groupings that relied on power runs, used Jackson's ability as a ball carrier to be successful, and they did. They had a lot of successes, particularly back in 2020. They went 13-3 and with one of the best offenses in the league, but the effect of that approach was it often resulted in Jackson being injured, and it really failed to develop him as a passer. So after that great 2020 campaign, the Ravens kind of slipped to the middle of the pack in most major metrics on offense in 2021 and 22, and it kind of felt like defenses had, had figured out how to Neutralized Romans' approach, and so Baltimore made the move. They moved on, and they they did something similar on defense, maybe not for the same reasons, but you know they moved on two years ago from Wink Martindale, who had been a really successful D D. C. in Baltimore. I mean, that was kind of a mutual parting of the ways. Martindale kind of wanted an opportunity elsewhere that could potentially lead to a head coaching gig, but Baltimore did feel like they could find a cheaper alternative and get similar or even better results. That was a move that shocked people in the league at the time. And then when the Ravens opted for a couple of college coaches in Mike McDonald on the defensive side and then Todd Munkin to replace Roman, there was skepticism. McDonald and Munkin had been highly successful at, at Michigan and Georgia, respectively, but that success had come in college. And the thought was handing the range to a Ravens squad that was loaded with potential and ready to win now to a couple of college coordinators was a big gamble. But that gamble has really paid off handsomely. Quickly, right? Munkin scrapped Roman's heavy sets and spread the field, man. He, I mean, Baltimore's gone heavy on four wide spread looks, and that's opened up the box, uh, which has created more space for Jackson. It's allowed him to see the field better. And he's flourished, man. And Baltimore is fast, and they're taking advantage of that speed. Munkin's also prioritized getting the ball out of Jackson's hand quicker. That su- subjected him to less hits which has allowed him to stay healthy. And on defense, McDonald's really leaned into simplifying the scheme for the Ravens while dressing it up with lots of disguise. I mean, he's keeping the the, the scheme the same, but disguising the pre-snap look. And, you know, that plays upon like the coaching adage of make it easy for us and hard for the opponent. The, the Ravens led the league in sacks this year as a result, probably because they're playing fast. And that's usually a sign of a defense that's confident in what it's doing which you know some people in Baltimore say is a relief after years of trying to digest Martindale's complicated scheme so long story short the ravens are here because they've found coordinators who have leaned into their best attributes their speed and their athleticism as for their opponents the Kansas City Chiefs they're here because well I, they're always here i mean this is Six straight ch- uh, trips to the championship game for Kansas City. I mean, that, that's that's a record, man, in the Super Bowl era. No, no other team has made six straight championship games in the Super Bowl era. So really, why are the Chiefs here? Because of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Reid and Mahomes is the new Belichick and Brady. They haven't reached that level of success yet. They've won two Super Bowls. Belichick and Brady won six. But they're climbing the ladder. If Kansas City wins in Baltimore on Sunday, it will make its fourth Super Bowl appearance in five years. And that's only been done once by those Belichick-Brady Patriots between 2015 and 2019. And there's, there's some interesting pa- parallels between those later Belichick-Brady teams and the Reed and Mahomes Chiefs. At times, New England in that era beat you with their explosive offense. Like when Randy Moss was there, Uh, or some of those teams in the early Gronk years and when they had Aaron Hernandez. At times, Brady was still Brady, but the offense was more of a ball control unit. I mean, you could go from the explosive Randy Moss teams to Brady kind of, you know, making the big play when he had to, but leaning into the run game and the defense. Many of those years, it was the defense that carried the Patriots. So, so, really, New England could beat you either way. And Reed's, Reed's Chiefs are evolving similarly. Mahomes and the offense, I mean, they were obviously the show for the first few years in their rise to power. They, they had the most explosive offense in the league. They were stocked with weapons at Mahomes' disposal. But this year, this is probably the worst offense in Kansas City of the Mahomes era. But now it's the defense that's great. You know, Kansas City has really rebuilt that unit to keep the team elite while the offense transitions. So to answer the question, why is Kansas City here? Because like the Belichick Brady Patriots, they're finding ways to beat you however they need to. These are the find-away chiefs, and that makes them very dangerous. So in the NFC, it's no surprise the 49ers earned the top seed in the conference and are hosting the championship game. I think they've probably been the best team in the NFC for most of the year. Why are they here? star power. I think I think they, they this is a star power Niners team. They're reminding us that sometimes having the best roster and the best coaches that's still the best path to success. So I mean let, let's look at San Francisco's roster. Christian McCaffrey, top 3 running back in the league. George Kittle, top 3 tight end in the league. Kyle Juszczyk top three full probably the best pure fullback in the league Debo Samuel might not be a top three wide receiver but the way in which he's used in San Francisco makes him one of the league's best playmakers and biggest threat the offensive line's a top three unit the defensive line on the other side of the ball is a top three unit Fred Warner's a top three linebacker I mean it goes on and on San Francisco has assembled a star-filled roster They are commanded by a star head coach in Kyle Shanahan, who learned from a multiple Super Bowl champion and legend in the game, his father, Mike Shanahan. And this makes them the most well-rounded team in the NFL. But it's interesting, though. The one position group where the Niners are not elite, they're good there. But I don't know if you could say that they're elite yet, is at quarterback. And that's a potential problem, considering the NFL is a quarterback-driven league. And two of the best in the business are still playing over there in the AFC. I mean, Brock Purdy did not look very good in the rain last week. Another shaky performance from him, which is possible on Sunday because Samuel is 50-50 for that game. I mean, that could cost San Francisco their Super Bowl shot. Obviously, Purdy has been way better than anybody thought he'd be when he was the final pick in the 2022 draft. But he hasn't yet proven that. He is in that same elite status as much of the roster is the rest of that San Francisco roster. So it would be very interesting to watch Purdy on Sunday and see if he can turn in a star performance to match the star-studded roster of that team. Which finally brings us to the Lions, who are here because, well, I'll do this, I'll do this real simply, right? They're here because their head coach and their success starved. Fan base has willed them here. I believe that. Obviously, they've got good players. I'm, they, they've helped Jared Goff become the best quarterback in his career. They got a great young coordinator uh, in Ben Johnson, who's going to probably get a head coaching job when their season ends. They drafted well, man. They, I mean, they've added some great pieces in the draft. Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell and Brian Branch. They had a great draft, and those guys are impact players. And they've surrounded them with other. Really, really good players and position groups, particularly the offensive line, maybe the best offensive line in the NFL. All of that matters. But more than maybe any head coach in the NFL, Dan Campbell has willed the Lions to this point. And it is a tribute to him and to the fans of Detroit, who were absolutely amazing the last two weeks in those two home games that they had against the Rams in Tampa Bay. Uh, how much. 30 years of frustration has 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 galvanized this franchise. And to see it have erupted in Detroit the last two weeks, I think is really the X factor that has pushed this team to the title game. It is really hard not to root for the Lions. I'll be rooting for them because my son is a Lions fan. But even if you're not a Lions fan, unless you're a fan of the 49ers, this is going to be a hard team to root against simply because of the reasons we just talked about. All right, last thing here before we take a break. Notably absent from this conversation about the league's final four teams are the Buffalo Bills, who lost 27-24 to to Kansas City last week and perhaps the best game of the playoffs. That defeat was another devastating blow to a Buffalo franchise that has come close to so many times to winning a Super Bowl, but has never gotten there, man. I mean, the Bills made four straight Super Bowls in the early 90s. They lost all four. They've averaged almost 12 wins a season since 2019, yet they've failed to even make it back to another Super Bowl. I mean, Buffalo fans can join fan bases in cities like Detroit and New York with the Jets as the most tortured in the NFL. And that is an interesting subject, and it's worth our investigation. So on the other side, our conversation about the perils of being a real fan of a perennially losing or at least disappointing franchise. With my good friend and lifelong Jets fan, Wayne Mazzoni. So come on back. All right, welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you in a part two We're going to talk a little bit about the nature of the tortured fan, uh, the fan base that that never seems to be rewarded the way that some others are, and and to do that, I'm going to bring in one of my good friends, my college roommate, longtime baseball coach uh, at Sacred Heart University and various other schools, and now uh, working for college baseball advisors, helping young men uh, and women get recruited to play college athletics, and one of the Best roller skaters I've ever seen in my life, Mister Wayne Mazzoni.
1: Maz, what's up? Dude, I'm uh, very excited to be on, and I'm and I'm a little like uh, excited and nervous that I'm sort of representing Jets Nation. It might be the <laughs> first time that anyone's asked me to represent Jets Nation.
0: Well, it's interesting because back in September, before right before the season started, I had I had a Jets uh, guy on who does work for us here at FFSN, and I asked him to. To talk about his excitement with Aaron Rodgers and, and all of that. And he said something similar. He said, I'm, but but for different reasons. He said, I'm excited for the season, but I'm nervous about being excited because as a Jets fan, you sometimes have to temper your enthusiasm.
1: That that is perfectly, perfectly said. And I know we'll probably talk about Aaron Rodgers for next year. And my you know thing is, I, I'm not getting you can't get too excited. When a new coach comes our bar, we get a new GM, we get a new guy. That you've learned in Jets Nation not to get too excited.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's go back to the beginning, man. Give it. Give me your origin story. Right? How'd you become a Jets fan?
1: I guess uh, the easiest way is a. I don't know, but like I don't know anything else. I mean, I just grew up that way. Obviously, my dad's a Jets fan. My mom went to high school with Matt Snell from the '69 team, one of the running backs. So maybe that was a tie-in. But like, my earliest memories of of sports were being a, a Jets fan, um, and then. Really, which which I don't know if most people outside of certain cities can relate. That when you're a Jets fan growing up, you automatically have a whole contingent of your very good friends that are Giants fans and against you. So it's <laughs> like not not only did you have to deal with your own team stuff, then you're always in that comparison mode because of Lawrence Taylor and the Super Bowls and all that stuff. So I remember the 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 you know dichotomy between being a Jets fan. And the Giants very early in my life, too.
0: Right. So two comments about that real quick. One, you don't know this, but it's so fascinating that you just referenced Matt Snell because uh, this is episode 41 of The Call Sheet. And, and on every episode, I start the show by talking about a player who wore that number. And in part one of this show, we talked about Matt Snell because that was going to be the tie-in. So that's 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 fabulous. But, and two... You know, Wayne. Wayne uh, obviously experienced this with me, but my girlfriend in college was Jill Parcells, Bill Parcells' daughter. Wayne was great friends with Jill. We were a bit. We were in a big group of friends. We hung out, and this was this is when Bill Parcells was winning Super Bowls for the Giants. So I'm sure that that Giants Jets experience was not the most pleasant for you,
1: and, and not at all. And there's actually, if we have time. I will tell my Jill Parcells Jets Giants game that I was at with her story. That's pretty much a butte, But let's let's hold that. <laughs> all right, we'll hold we'll hold that for the end. So,
0: so, so real quick. I mean, it hasn't all been misery as a Jets fan, right? I mean, I mean, you've had some good moments. There have been some good years. What are some of your fondest Jets experiences?
1: So, I mean, growing up, you know, like I guess when I was, really became a real sports fan. So you're talking late '70s, early '80s, like. I guess you could feel it in your relatives and people that had sort of been frustrated. Obviously, they won in 69. But I, at that point, I didn't have the angst that like I have now. I mean, Richard Todd was a really good quarterback. Now, granted, in the playoffs, A.J. Dewey was his favorite receiver, but, <laughs> which I'll never forget, you know, the <laughs> slippery field and the whole bit. But, I mean, there were some good players and Ken O'Brien and the sack exchange. Like, there was excitement, and the Jets were, like, a a solid franchise for a while now yeah they didn't win the big one they didn't have a great track record but it wasn't it really wasn't what it's become in the last 20 you know plus years it's it it wasn't that way growing up
0: right yeah they they had a a good run when bill parcells was the head coach right you know chad pennington was a pretty good quarterback they had a love Vinny testaverde run there when when did you first start to get the sense though that that being a Jets fan was going to be a, a heavy lift. It was going to become a, a, a difficult endeavor because, I, you know, I don't think the Jets are necessarily a tortured franchise because they, I don't think that they've been so as close as the bills, the bills, four straight Super Bowls, the last, the last four years, they've averaged almost 12 wins a year. They, they seem to heighten expectations and then perennial perennially disappoint. The Jets haven't had those, those heights, but still, when did you begin to really sort of, like you said, it wasn't that heavy when you were in college? When did it start to feel heavy?
1: All right, so let let's let's. I got a comment on one thing there. I would give anything to be a Buffalo to have the Buffalo Bills track record for Super Bowl losses. Are you kidding me? I would <laughs> sign up for any Jets Super Bowl loss. They could get blown out a hundred to nothing. That means they had a good year and got to the Super Bowl. I understand they're disappointed in the Chiefs of their nemesis. Do you know how much I would love to lose like that? I guess I get it. We don't even have that. It's been 13 years since a playoff. It's been 13 years since a playoff game. So it's really hard. like, obviously, I know you're a Steelers fan and our other friend, Gary, Ricky an Eagles fan. And I know the disappointed at the playoffs. I'm like, I would be thrilled to be disappointed in the playoffs. So, boy, but back to your question, like, when did it really become that way? Oof, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess some of the playoff losses. I mean, we were up to, to Cleveland and and to get to the AFC Championship game, 20 to 10, four minutes left. That game goes to double overtime. We lose that game, right? Um, back to the Richard Todd one that I referenced before. Uh, AFC Championship games that we lost. Um, Testaverde's Achilles going out. Parcells calling a halfback option pass against the Lions where we got intercepted. Uh, It just, I don't know. I mean, the Rich Cotite era. (laughs) Adam Gase in the press conference. It's just, Kevin, I don't have an answer where I go, oh my God, this is going to be a struggle. But it's just, and and maybe to your point before, 87-91, the Giants win Super Bowls. And like, maybe just that in your face. And you're like, oh, they keep, they're winning and getting to that level and we're not. I I guess if I did pinpoint it, that's the time when I realized I don't have the same track record these other teams have.
0: Right, right.
1: All right, you might not be able to
0: answer this question. It's it's a difficult question, I I think. Uh, Franchises fail for various reasons. Sometimes it's personnel. Sometimes it's it's coaching. uh, Sometimes it's sometimes it just feels like certain franchises are snake bit. Sometimes it's all of the above. Is there is there any sort of way of assessing Why the Jets have not been able to 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 get over the hump? Why have they failed? Is is it a lifetime achievement award for the Jets, or is it is it bad management? Is it bad ownership? I mean, is there any any real way you can put your finger on the lack of success, or for the reason yeah, success?
1: I I think it's fairly easy to look at it and explain it, and I think it's like ninety percent one thing and ten percent another, and the ninety percent is. It is the 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 key people. I mean, between your owner, your GM, your head coach, your quarterback, the 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 franchises that have had that good track record. Andy Reid always seems to perform at a high level, right? Pete Carroll for a really long time. Even Tomlin, I know he hasn't maybe from a Steelers standpoint, but the guy produces a solid team every year. So his ownership and craft with the with the Eagles and so you have to start there. I mean, I think Leon Hess, the former owner seem to have good intentions. Woody Johnson, possibly football is not his number one thing. He's got other things going on. So I don't know if that gets the attention, but the, the leadership is uh, not doing the right things. I think long-term that's number one. And then it's uh, the 10% is like, it also snowballs. Like once, you have this struggle and then every new quarterback that comes in the first round draft pick, I think he has the weight of all that stuff going on that happened for 20 years and it's stress. It's just really stressful. So I think it's leadership and decisions that have been made. And then I think it becomes almost this curse that is hard to get out of. You need, it's going to have to be something exceptional that gets us out of that. Yeah. it's.
0: I'm not a superstitious person, but Like when you look at what happened to Aaron Rodgers this year, you you almost feel like, man, the the franchise is just snake bit. And and what will it take, right? What will it take for them to to shed that label, uh, to be able to do what, for example, Detroit is doing this year? You look at the Lions and you say, man, there's just something special happening with that team. They're probably not going to win the Super Bowl this year, but boy, have they injected new life into that franchise. Did it feel when Rogers got signed, like maybe this was the new life or is he too far into his career? Did it feel like maybe just one last, one last gasp for him?
1: Well, a lot of things you're bringing up as you say that. And I think it even goes back to like, back to when Bill Belichick was our coach for a day and then left, (laughs) like it, it, it just kind of feels like, um, you know, especially even with Rogers, I, I don't know if that's if that's a snake bit or or what. I, I just the bottom line is I think that n- no. Uh, look at all the quarterbacks. Look at Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, uh, Christian Hackenberg. Um, I kind of got sidetracked on the question, which I want to get back to. But no, no, you yeah, right. repeat, repeat that again if you could.
0: Well, you well, uh, just what do you think it will take? Okay. Now, or, okay. Or the, to, to sort of shed this—I I don't want to call it bad luck, but whatever it's been—but just this state of being.
1: Okay. That's so that's what I—that's what I wanted to go back to. and Now I know where I'm going. Which was, and I—I I say back to Belichick, like, what would have the Jets been if we had Belichick? Even there was a time when we could have hired Dan Quinn, and I know Dan Quinn's back to—he lost the job, but Dan Quinn got a team to a Super Bowl. It almost feels like the the guy we didn't get would have been the right guy. So I'm not saying I'm against Sala, but like you see Dan Campbell do his press conference and you realize this is not the standard dude that coaches. That's, I feel like what the jets need. The jets don't need the same old thing because even Todd Bowles, who was a quality coach, it doesn't go well with the jets. Then he goes back, you know, and he's, and he's under Bruce Arians and then he takes over and then his team gets there. So like, all these guys seem to have success elsewhere, but I think you need a guy to come in like a Dan Campbell, which are very rare and just, just do things a little differently and run it a little bit differently. than it's been done.
0: Yeah. I absolutely believe that the jets need some outside the box thinking right now, because the, the NFL is pretty conservative by nature, right? You, there's not a lot of risk takers in the league because you take that risk and you fail, you're fired. And so they right. all sort of think within a very similar framework. And then you get a guy like Dan Campbell, who, I mean, he's an NFL guy he played in the league and et cetera, but his approach to coaching has simply been like, we're going to go for it. I mean, his, his, did you ever, did you ever see his introductory press conference? when he talked of about course. The, bite, the biting kneecaps and, and taking lots of people. I wanted it to awesome. shoot back
1: up again. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he lives it. He lives it with those decisions. You look at all those fourth downs, none of that stuff, uh, is in line with the metrics or traditional thinking. And when it fails, you can't say, oh, he should have done something else because that's who he's been from day one. And and I think you're right. I think that type of, uh, I don't know who, the, right. Who is that next guy? Who's the next Dan Campbell? I don't know. But that type of a risk feels like what the Jets are going to have to take. Uh,
1: I, I would fully agree. Yes. All right. So let me ask you this. Okay.
0: Now, now that we've sort of firmly established that it's been a frustrating experience. Why do you stay a Jets fan? Because this is really sort of what I was getting at, at the end of part one of this show was, was the, there are, these are choices. This is not something we're assigned to, right? You know, like this is not genetic, you know, you're, you're not like predisposed to have to be a certain fan. We choose to be fans of these teams. We can choose to, to, to divorce them if we want, but, but few people do. Most people stick with their team. Whether they're they're good, bad, whatever. So, so why do you stay a Jets fan if, if the experience has
1: been a frustrating one? That's a, it's a good question. And I was thinking about it leading up to this. And I would never become a fan of another team. I might watch a team and admire a team and respect what they do. Like, you know, I like watching the Chiefs and Reed and I like Josh Allen and I'm I'm a fan of players and, and teams, but I'm a Jets fan. I will always will be. I'll go to the grave as a Jets fan. You know, my kids are Jets fans. Their kids are. I mean, I, I wish I didn't. Like, I wish I gave them a choice because I have a nephew who likes the 49ers. Why does he like the 49ers? Because they were good when he grew up, and, and everyone else is a Jets fan in the family, and he likes the Niners. And, you know, look where he's at right now. But <laughs> I, I will say this I do have this feeling, and maybe all sports fans and all football fans, I don't know, but I get this as a Jets fan a lot. I get so excited. For a season, for a game, looking forward to Sunday, make a fire, clear the schedule. And in 15 minutes, I am so aggravated <laughs> and so upset at just the boring running game, the run up the middle, the lack of creativity, just everything. It just actually is aggravating. So instead of me saying, Oh, I'm going to just be a Packers fan now, I'm never switching, but I do go, I, I, there's times I just can't watch this game anymore because it's actually, why would I tune into something supposed to bring me joy and only be miserable for three hours? So I remove myself sometimes. And then I go back to it the next week and maybe they'll play. All right. And maybe all of a sudden Zach rolls in has a breakout game or something goes well. Hey, I mean, we beat the Eagles. Right. (laughs) Yes. You never know, but um, it's really been frustrating, but I mean, Kevin, you don't. I bet you you don't know anyone that's bailed on being a fan of their team and switched to someone else because it was easy.
0: No, I really don't.
1: I really don't. It's like being in a, in an abusive relationship.
0: <laughs> like, like you need counseling or something. <laughs> so, but I, I I just feel as though you, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I wouldn't even want to admit to the number of hours in my life I have devoted to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so, if the Steelers were uh, if, if their story were similar to the jets knowing i'd invested all that time i would want to stick it out with the hope that man when when it happens right when it happens if it happens like i'll be i'll be there to live that glory man i will remain a steelers fan if they so that they finally win it and i can can you know celebrate that because so i have
1: to believe that in your lifetime the jets are going to win the super bowl and here here here's what it is i mean i'm i'm so beaten down as a fan and so many others are Jets fans. I believe we have the longest, we definitely have the longest streak in football or close to it. The longest streak of not making the playoffs in all of pro sports, a super bowl. If I think about it, my, you'll see my head explode on this podcast. Like it's not even in the ability of my head, right? I'll sign for, give me a 12, give me three, 12 and five seasons. Lose a playoff game, win a playoff game. Now, maybe I'll think differently and I'll get excited. The team has a good year. The last time that we had an actual good winning record, I think it's 2010. It's a long time, man. Yeah. It's a long time where you really, I mean, we had Brett Favre. I think we were eight and three injury, right? Like all the time when things seem to start, they just fall apart. So we've won. We've lost a few, you know, championship games. Those are great years in my mind. Great years. You know, we just haven't had anything remote to that recently. And then the other part is that's frightening to me. We were seven and 10. If you look at all the other teams that actually won less than seven games this year, it's a lot. There's a lot of teams in the league. I mean, what did the Panthers win? What did the, what did the the Patriots win? Of course they've won every, some, I mean, what did the Cardinals win? A lot of teams. So I'm like, oh my God, my team's terrible. We're seven and 10. And then I go, wow, in the league, there's actually teams worse off than us. It doesn't feel like it, but there are. You know,
0: I mean, from that perspective, it's actually not a bad season considering, you know, how it started four plays in, et cetera. So, which brings us to obviously uh, that subject, right? Let, let's, let's give you a chance to be, to be optimistic. What, what do you think next year looks like with a healthy
1: Rogers? All right. So we know this about the jets. They have an elite wide out. They have an elite running back and they have some complimentary pieces. So, if, if Rodgers was healthy this whole year, I don't know. It's a 10-win season, maybe an 11-win season. I don't think it goes anything incredibly well because the line has been a mess. Now, whether it be injury, whether it be whatever else, you know this. You're a better football guy than I am. When quarterbacks have time, they could be pretty good. When they don't have time, they're not as good. There are the Josh Allens, the Lamar Jacksons, these guys, Mahomes, that can single-handedly extend and make plays, which, my God, we've never had. I've never had it. I can't recall the last Jets quarterback that actually, like, ran for a first down. Like, that actually <laughs> was an offensive threat with his legs. But so, if the, to me, it's all about the line. Rodgers is good enough, regardless of age, and there's enough talent around him with a good enough defense That if the line becomes a really good line, the Jets could get really good really quickly. But I'm also not foolish enough to think, okay, he's back. Line still struggles. We win 13 games. Just that the league does not work that way. It just doesn't.
0: Right. Right. Man, you can always dream, man. You can always dream,
1: right? (laughs) When I follow transactions, I'm not like an offseason guru, but I always look to see what's going on with the line. What moves have we made? Who are we going to draft on the line? you know we didn't even talk about the jets drafts that that fell apart and you know the fact that they took you know uh, Ken O'Brien instead of Dan Marino and all these other things i mean i guess that always happens in in franchises i don't know if the steelers have let great players go by i mean i guess maybe if dan marino was with the jets maybe he would have been you know he would have struggled his career too who knows
0: Steelers fans are still bitching that they cut Johnny Unitas in 1958 or whatever
1: it was. So they have long
0: memories in Pittsburgh. All right. Before, before we wrap it up, tell me this, tell me, tell me your, uh, your, your Joe Parcells, Giants, Jets story.
1: Oh, I'm glad you remembered. So 1988, the last game of the football season, the Jets were out of it. Surprise. The Giants needed to, Win the game, the last game of the year to make the playoffs. So here it is, last game of the year. Giants need the victory, the Jets don't. Well, it turned out to be a Jets home game. So Jill and I were sitting in the rafters freezing, last game of the year, end of December, whatever date it was. So at halftime, she goes, Forget this, it's too cold. Let's go into the owner's box and watch the rest of this game. So now, I'm in the New York Giants owners box with all the Tishes and Maras and whatever other names drinking fancy drinks, (laughs) etc. But I'm a Jets fan, right? So I have to keep my crap together because, listen, I'm, I'm intruding on this thing. The game doesn't mean anything for the Jets; it means something, you know, for the Giants. You could look this up. Maybe under a minute left, corner of the end zone. Altoon catches a touchdown. Jets win. The Giants executives are throwing their cocktail drinks because they're so upset because they know the playoffs are over. I leave the suite, <laughs> I run out to the hallway, and I'm just hugging and high-fiving anyone with green on just to celebrate because I couldn't celebrate in this suite. So it was a really weird experience being in that in that suite. So happy for the Jets, but I had to keep it together until I got it out of the room. It was I'll that's, never forget that story. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, here's the
0: here's the follow-up to that story. The next week, the Giants are out of the playoffs. The Eagles win the NFC East as a result, and they go to Chicago, and they play in the famous Fog Bowl in Chicago. And I'm at Jill's house watching that game with her father, simultaneously intimidated and thrilled to be watching the game, afraid to ask a question. And he's just sort of sitting there in silence, like sort of stewing and watching. And I'm like, this is so cool, and this is also kind of awful because I feel terrible for him, and I don't want to move or do anything that will disturb him. You, know?
1: you <laughs> so, have to yeah. ring him up and get him on the call sheet here.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's gonna come on <laughs> right now, but I mean, I can get,
1: you know, let me see if I can make it so, as you would say. Exactly. Yeah,
0: Maz, man, it was a blast. I, I really uh, enjoyed talking talking to you. Get, give me one minute, one minute real quick on, on your recruiting, uh, company, what
1: you guys are doing. So basically we help, um, high school kid, really mostly baseball players navigate the, the craziness of the recruiting process. You know, what football's like and, and the transfer and COVID and everything that it's kind of done. So really what I do is not that complicated. It's evaluate a kid to see what his talent level is, you know, I'm going to talk a baseball player. It's find out about him as a student, as a person. Try to come up with a list of schools that make a fit, and then I coach 30 years. I know everybody. I call up. I basically connect the kid with the coach, and I let the coach evaluate the kid. And and if he recruits him, great. And if not, and he's not interested, I bring that feedback of why the kid, why the coach doesn't like him, and try to help him get to a place that that will like him. So it's really just using connections and contacts to. Try to get a kid to the next level because, you know, every sport's competitive, but seven and a half percent of kids play college baseball at a high school and 2.2 percent play division one. It's crazy, crazy competitive.
0: Yeah. And that's a great service now because I can tell you as a being on the other end of it as a coach trying to help these kids get to college, it's gotten so much more complicated since COVID, the extra years the The transfer portals now the NIL money. I mean, a lot. I, a lot of times, I don't even know what to tell these kids. I don't. I don't. I, because I don't know what the colleges are looking for exactly. A lot of those schools would rather have a 23 year old transfer who knows the deal than a, an 18 year old kid out of high school that they have to develop. It's really a hard path to navigate.
1: Yeah, and the, the weird part in baseball being a different, obviously in the spring. One of the things that ne- happens now that never used to happen is after the college baseball season end of May, early June, those coaches have no interest in looking at high school kids. The first thing they're doing is looking in the portal to try to help bring in kids for the following fall, which are going to help immediately that that next spring. So it's like they recruit portal first, and then after that, they'll go recruit the regular high school circuit and whatnot. So that's that's completely changed. NIL is not that big of a thing in baseball, but Lord knows in football, basketball, it's huge. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: All right, man. Appreciate your time. That was a great conversation. Uh enjoyed having you and
1: uh bundle up, stay warm. I love you, championship buddy. games. I love you, buddy. Thanks for having me. And definitely I'll I'll stay, you know, locked into this podcast going forward. And I'm excited for the games this weekend. And go J-E-T-S. J-E-T-S. <laughs> yeah,
0: J-E-T-S. All right, man. That'll that's it for episode 41 of the call sheet. Now on next week's show, we'll have a Super Bowl to talk about. So that'll be exciting. All right, Kevin Smith. Signing off, everybody. Take care. Talk to you next week.